Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. for this morning. Um, It comes from Luke 24, uh, verses 1 to 11. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened." Uh, Joel Nazar is going to come to the stage and will be preaching to us this morning. And I asked Joel how he wanted uh, to be welcomed to the stage. He said, uh, with trumpets and a red carpet. Um, Now, I cannot offer those things, but I thought we could give him a round of applause anyway. Why don't you welcome Joel? Am I on? Can you hear me? Oh, fantastic. It's very hard when you're here. Uh, uh, So, yeah. Happy Easter, everyone. Good morning. How are you all? Fantastic. Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, as Vicky uh, kindly said, my name is Joel Nazar. I am one of the leaders of the Blackheath and Greenwich Connect group here at Christchurch, and uh, it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, this is actually my second time speaking at Christchurch. Um, uh, I spoke, uh, spoke earlier at Christmas, um, so a few familiar faces here. That's great. Big fan base. <laughs> Either that or it's church and you're here every week. Um, uh, no, I was speaking at Christmas, so I did the festive talk, and then they kindly asked me to come back and do Easter. Just missed out on Good Friday, the Trinity. Um, uh, but, but yeah, kind of feel like I'm being pigeonholed already. Um, it's okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to rebel in every way I can, so I'm going to break every church-speaking norm I possibly can. Strap yourselves in. It's going to be a good morning. Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to speak on the resurrection, actually. That is what we're going to talk about today, the resurrection Big deal, big topic, especially if you're Christian, I think. Uh, That's point number one. Um, Yes, a very, very big deal. Uh, Even if you're not a Christian, you still can't quite avoid this one. You get public holidays, an Easter egg. Uh, It is still kind of all around you. An event that happened 2,000 years ago, and we are still putting a lot of effort into acknowledging it today. And I think that probably speaks something to uh, the size of this event in history, the change that it was in history, Uh, the resurrection, a defining point of Jesus' life more widely, birthed the whole new ideology, it birthed the church that we see today, uh, and that has inarguably changed the face of the world. So it is a very, very big topic, means a lot of change, uh, and it means change specifically in our lives as well, our personal, individual lives. Uh, If you believe in the resurrection, it means, well, it means a lot of things, but the two most obvious points are, one, it means Jesus is alive. 
kind of a big deal about the resurrection. Uh, he is alive, which means he's active and interactive, which means you can know him and have a relationship with him. And that relationship may not look uh, like every other relationship you know, uh, but you kind of have to get around that because you cannot say that Jesus is alive and then act like he's dead. The resurrection also means that Jesus is powerful. He conquered death. Kind of a big deal. Don't know many people who have done that one. Uh, you kind of have to ask of a man who can conquer death, what else can he not overcome? He is very powerful. And you put these two things together, the fact that Jesus is alive and he is powerful, and it surely has to change everything you believe. It has to change your perspective on everything. Because the knowledge that you can have a relationship with someone, an interaction with someone who is all-powerful, that has to change everything for you. You cannot get around this. The resurrection means change. It's an important point. I put it on a slide. There you go. There it is. The resurrection means change. It is littered through all of the stories and all of the gospel accounts of the resurrection, even to the point where the imagery, the visuals that this story evokes tell a story of change, a, a positive one. When the gospel accounts say about the, the death of Jesus on the cross, it says the, the sky clouded over and became dark. And when the morning of the resurrection, the, the story opens up there, we, we're told that women very early in the morning are heading towards the tomb. What do you think of as the very earliest point of the morning? Don't say breakfast, really slams my point. Uh, an image, you think of the sun rising, light invading darkness. More, more specifically, more locally, when the women get to the tomb, they are searching the tomb for Jesus' body, a dark tomb. No one's there. The moment they hear about the resurrection, the moment they hear that Jesus is alive, is because men in gleaming white tell them. Their whole environment erupts into light the moment they hear that Jesus is alive. This story is a story of darkness to light. And you may think that maybe we're searching for meaning uh, or digging a bit deep here or, or that imagery is a bit too ambiguous, a foundation to build any meaning on. But I would probably argue when you're dealing with God, uh, the creator of the universe, why wouldn't he use all of creation, the most primal form of communication, sight, image, to convey the message that is going on here? Darkness to light, which sounds great, doesn't it? Isn't that provocative? Isn't that exciting? Especially if you believe in the resurrection. You know someone who means darkness to light for your life. Very exciting. And you kind of start getting excited about the possibilities of that. What would my life look like if I lived with a consistent acknowledgement of my own beliefs? What would my day look like if I reminded myself constantly that I know someone, I can have a relationship with someone who is powerful, who can turn darkness to light in my life? It's very exciting. But that excitement does often fizzle out when you realize that is a very hard thing to do, to live with the constant reminder of your beliefs. It's kind of frustrating. You kind of wonder, if only, if only there was some way I could, if, I, if only there was some way I could take this large, unfathomable idea and apply it to my life. But it is very hard because it is a huge idea. And you kind of look at your lives, your dark situations, if it were, the, the situations where you would want to see more light, and you think, how do I bring alongside this, this idea with my reality? How do I bring it alongside my, my job, my family? Dark situations, my want to exercise more, my procrastination, my ruts. We all have them, and you kind of bring them alongside this huge idea, and, and you think, well, actually, my issues, my darknesses seem quite petty in light of the fact that I'm dealing with a man who conquered death. Or maybe that's not the case at all. Maybe it is not the case that your issues seem petty. Maybe it's the complete opposite. Maybe they, they are all-consuming. 
Maybe they are deep heartbreaks. And the issue isn't that they seem petty in light of the fact that Jesus has died and risen again. The issue is that they seem complicated. The deep pain goes so far down that you think, how would I even begin to apply this situation to this idea? There's a big gap between the two. If only we could work out how to connect the two. Well, happy Easter, everyone, because that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, And we're going to do so by looking at the Gospel of Luke, Uh, not just because Luke is a very talented and creative writer. He's also an insightful one, too. Um, He was also a doctor and a historian. Kind of had it all. I bet he was good looking as well. Uh, You see, Luke not only tells the story of the grand picture of change that the resurrection is, darkness to light, he also spends more time than any other author investing in personal stories about the resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, the first part of which was read just moments ago, we're going to look at that and another story that we didn't read because because we don't want to ask Ricky to read too much. It sounds like she read too much earlier on. She didn't. The slides weren't up. I apologize for that. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm apologizing. The slides were there, but uh, I don't want to put it on them. You guys are superstars, okay? All right, it's not on the script. Let's get back to it. The story of Luke is fantastic because he invests personal time. He invests time into looking at personal stories of the resurrection, how people were changed when they heard that Jesus was alive. And in Luke chapter 24, we see three stories, each dealing with three different people or three groups of people that heard Jesus was alive and were changed because of it. But they're different stories because they all had different journeys up to the point where they accepted that Jesus is alive. But they are all very similar in the sense that as soon as they did, they were changed. They move from sadness to joy, from skepticism to to belief, from from doubt to awe. And I think that by looking at these stories today, we can gain a bit of insight on how we can best apply and personalize this big idea of the resurrection to our own situations in life. I say I think, by the way, I've actually put a lot of time and effort into preparing what follows. Um, So for your confidence, I I know these stories can help. Right, shall we listen to the first one then? The Women's Miracle, I've aptly titled this, uh, and it is not about childbirth. Uh, This is the story uh, that we read in verses 1 to 8, where the women arrive at the tomb and they realize there is no body inside. Uh, And in verse 4, we read, don't do it. (laughs) Step back. In verse 4, we read, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleam like lightning stood beside them. Verse 5. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? And from here, as we heard, these men go on to tell the women that Jesus has risen, he is alive, and we assume that they are very happy and accepting of the fact because they run to share the news with others. Uh, Now, first off, what's interesting about this story is that compared to the two stories that follow it that we'll be looking at in just a moment, the protagonists of this story, the people at the center of it, the women, have the quickest turnaround from hearing Jesus is alive to accepting it. You see, in the following two stories that we'll look at, there's more of an interactive journey for the people involved. They don't believe it straight away. They have to go on a a journey before they accept it. Whereas these women, it's almost simultaneously. They hear it and believe it. And I think that probably has something to do with the way that they hear it. It does sound pretty extraordinary. They saw men with clothes which gleamed like lightning. I don't think we're dealing with men who know how to do their laundry really, really well. I think we are dealing with something extraordinary, even the descriptive term, like lightning. It's a force of nature. It's out of man's control. It's otherworldly. We're dealing with something miraculous and something sudden. And I think this is probably confirmed by the women's responses. It says in verse 5, they, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. 
Rarely, when I'm frightened, do I bow down with my face to the ground. That is usually where the spider is. I choose to run. <laughs> I think without fear, we choose to run very often, but this clearly isn't the fear that makes us run. This is a fear that makes you bow down. There is something otherworldly about this. There is something miraculous. And I think in this story, there is a lesson on how we can be impacted by the news that Jesus is alive in our lives, miraculously, suddenly. You see, we can constantly and very often scratch our heads around the big concepts of Christianity, the resurrection being one of them. And we can think, how best can we approach this story? What can we do to live this out in the most adequate way? And we forget that they are all rooted, this story is always rooted in a living God, an active God. We can get so hopped up on the we, we forget that there is a him. And we forget that the resurrection is a story where God chose to miraculously intervene on his own accord. It is good to remember that. And while sometimes it is very difficult to remember that, depending on your darkness, depending on your situation, it is also sometimes very humbling to know that it's not down to you, that God is active, that God can intervene. I think that in itself is a way that we can gain a mindset that changes our darkness to light. The second story uh, I have decided to name. Guys, I'm missing a page. No, I'm not. It's a joke. Keeping you on the edge of your seats. <laughs> there we go. Back to it. Peter's investigation. Fantastic. Was it up there before? Did I miss it? Oh, shame. You are, you're new. It's great. The second story, well, as soon as the women are all finished uh, with, uh, with, with hearing the news that Jesus is alive, they run to go and tell people, and naturally they run to go and tell the disciples, and among them is Peter. Now, for a bit of context, the disciples are Jesus' closest followers. They have been with him all through their teaching years, lots of traveling. You always get close to a person when you're traveling together. Uh, they've witnessed lots of miracles. They've meandered crowds, and Peter specifically is often known as Jesus' most zealous follower. He is very energetic, very protective over Jesus. There was a whole incident in a garden with a Roman soldier and a sword and an ear and a healing. We're not going to talk about it today, but safe to say that when things kick off, Peter's the kind of guy you just need to say, hey, chill out, all right? He's very, very intense, but he adores Jesus, as do the rest of the disciples. So you can imagine if there was one group of people, one person who would want to hear that Jesus is alive, it is probably this group of people. It is probably Peter. And so when the women arrive at the door to tell them, we read in verse 11, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Right. Well, that certainly makes me feel better about every time I've tried to share my faith. You see, when the disciples heard that Jesus was alive, they didn't believe it. It's not just that they didn't believe it. Luke really hammers down this point. He says they didn't believe it because their words sounded like nonsense. He didn't have to say that. He could have just said one half of it. But he's trying to hammer down here really putting a lot of emphasis on the disciples' doubt. But what's interesting is what happens next. You see, just as much emphasis as Luke puts on the disciples' doubt, he puts on Peter's curiosity. You see, for a man who thought that these women were speaking nonsense, in verse 12, he seems pretty interested. It said, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, look at how Luke tells this story. It's not just that he went to the tomb, it's he ran, that's urgency. It's not that he saw it was empty, it's he bent down and he saw the strips of linen. That's a detective, he's searching for a clue. It's not just that he wondered there in the moment, he went away wondering. That's fascination, that's a growing seed of interest. 
You see, when Luke tells the story, he makes two things very clear. Number one, Peter didn't believe the women when they first told him Jesus was alive. And number two, he made a good investigation of the claim. Now, let me park here because I would like to tell you all something. Do you know I was 19 years old before I read the first Harry Potter book? I'd really like to talk about that right now. It seems like an apt time. 19 years old, the Harry Potter book, the first one came out when I was five years old, which means I grew up with everyone, everyone telling me to go and read this book. My friends would dress up like Harry Potter characters. Really weird if you hadn't read the book. And they would go and stand outside WH Smith's and wait for another book to be released. I didn't get it. Read the first one again. What's the issue? Everyone was going crazy. I, I remember watching news reports about uh, this bestseller that was breaking world records. There was every suggestion for me to go and read this book, but I never did. I wasn't really interested until I got to university and a friend was so alarmed that I had never read Harry Potter. She bought me the book and she insisted on buying it for me. And I quote, she said, because I want to be the person to give you Harry Potter. And I read the Harry Potter book, and let me tell you, my life has never been the same. I have been changed. It's part of my identity now. I am a Gryffindor. Uh, this is a big event in my life. And it's not just that I love these books. These books were so amazing that, that I wondered, is this what books do generally? Can they create this world that I love to escape to? So I started to read other books, and I went from being a child at five years old who never read books to an adult who loves books. And this is what Harry Potter did for me. But I had every suggestion growing up that I should read these books, and I didn't. I didn't realize how amazing it was. I didn't get it until I read them for myself. It is not enough to hear that Jesus is alive and that he is powerful because you heard it from someone else. It is not enough just to hear it. That doesn't instantly teach us that he can be light in our darkness. It doesn't he personally teach it to us? If anything, it can be quite damaging when we just hear it and we say we believe it. Because we haven't internalized it, we don't understand it, which means we can't be changed by it. Which means we walk away saying we believe one thing, but we act like we don't believe it, and a gap forms, and in that gap, that's usually where hypocrites are born. It is not enough to just believe something because you hear it, but it is different when you investigate it. When you investigate something, when you go deeper than the headline, it forces you to think about something, to dwell on it, examine it, and test it. It forces you to find your own answers, and you're more likely to believe those answers when you find them because you found them, because it was your journey. I think that's often why, if you look at the stories of Jesus, he, all, he often answered questions with questions, and he spoke in parables and with illustrations because he knew that he would rather help people find an answer than give them the answer. It is not enough to hear it. You have to investigate it. Peter didn't go around shouting Jesus was alive because two women told him. He went to the tomb and investigated it himself. He heard something that sounded like nonsense, but it was interesting enough. What he had done to these women was interesting enough for him to investigate it. If you want to realize what Jesus being alive means in your life, you cannot just hear it from someone. You can't, you can't believe that he can change your darkness to light because your parents or friends tell you, because the people that stand on this stage tell you, you need to go investigate it for yourself. I can already hear the question stirring. Well, if I need to investigate it for myself, where do I start? Well, thank goodness for Luke. I don't have an answer, but he does. And we see it in the last story, the last story which I have brilliantly named. That was good. The men on a journey. That's a double meaning to that. We'll find out about it later on. 
the men on a journey. Now, we didn't read this, uh, this story before it came up because it is a very long one, but let me, let me explain what happens. Basically, when Luke cuts away from a very curious Peter, he lands on these two men walking along a road to a town called Emmaus. And these men uh, are followers of Jesus, and they are discussing the recent events, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And as they are discussing them, we see this. This is verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, I don't know whether that means he was wearing a cloak or there's something more supernatural to that. Again, the man just conquered death. I wouldn't put disguise past him. Uh, and either way, <laughs> either, either way, he joins the conversation about his crucifixion, very clever, and he sees that these men are going through a crisis of faith. They are, they are a bit stuck. They believed that Jesus was going to bring change to their lives, and, uh, and now suddenly he's seemingly dead, and so they don't really know what's going to happen. And Jesus appeals to them to have faith, to understand that his death was, was a, part of, uh, a needed part of God's divine plan. And he goes on, and this is in verse 27, Luke says, And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, spoiler alert, at the end of the story, Jesus does reveal himself to these people and they are overcome at the sight of a dead man. Uh, but isn't it interesting, isn't it significant that before he decides to show himself to these people literally, he first does it through literature. He takes them through the Bible. You see, the key question we're facing today is how do I reconcile this big idea that Jesus can bring light into our darkness? How, how do I reconcile that with my reality? Well, Jesus seemed to think the answer could be found in the Bible. If you want a better understanding of how Jesus being alive can impact your life, read the Bible, because there are plenty of stories about Jesus there. You can hear his teachings, get a, get a feel for his character. You can understand his place in God's wider plan for humanity, for the Israelites of the Old Testament, and for us today. There are plenty of stories, images of Jesus, not just the grand image of Jesus that says he can turn darkness to light, bite-sized images, more specific, applicable ones that can fit your situations. So if you're going through a, a, a crisis at work, you're concerned about, about your career, you can read Matthew 6, 34, when Jesus says, it's on the next page, guys. I think I remember it. Where Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. No, I, no, I don't remember it. Do, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And you can chew it over and maybe come to the realization that maybe you shouldn't spend so much time thinking about your career in the future and spend time focusing on today, doing the best day at work you possibly can. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's not the interpretation of the verse you've taken away from this. Maybe you read that and you think, actually, that empowers me to make decisions now and not worry about how they, how they might make the future uncertain. Maybe. There's plenty of ways to interpret it. But on this, isn't it interesting? Go back to the story of the two men walking on the road to Emmaus. Isn't it interesting that these men are talking about the crucifixion? They're not silently walking, individually thinking about it. They're talking about it. Jesus joins a conversation about it. And it's a long conversation. Again, verse 27, it says, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explains to them in the scriptures what was said concerning himself. Moses starts in Exodus. I've spent five months on numbers, okay? <laughs> this is a long story. Even the imagery of this, they're on a journey. They are on a literal journey. If you want to understand the impact that the resurrection can have on your life, on your situations, how it can turn darkness to light, be prepared for a journey, a journey that is well-tread with a good community of people around you 
who can talk to you, support you, help you understand and utilize the tool that the Bible is in light of the resurrection. You know, I haven't had that many uh, dark situations in my life, but when I have had a few difficult ones, it has often been exasperated by an anxiety uh, that grips me and makes everything worse, an inclination to overthink. It's not uncommon. One in four people will actually struggle with a heightened sense of anxiety to some scale. Uh, but uh, there are times where it's got pretty bad for me. I've lost some weight. Uh, I've lost a lot of sleep. And there was one time specifically where it was really, really bad, so bad that I was actually scared to go to bed. And you know that as an issue when you're scared to go to bed in the evening. Because I had this difficult situation. I knew I wasn't going to be able to sleep, which meant that I knew that I was going to be lying in the dark for hours with nothing to focus on but to let my anxiety just rip up and, and tear apart this issue and warp it completely out of perspective. And I got so scared to go to sleep that eventually I had to just put my earphones in and get my phone to read the Bible to me as I fell asleep. I felt very much like a child. That being said, it was great because it was not just that the Bible was a distraction, like there were plenty of other distractions I could have chosen for my anxiety. It was that it was realignment. It was hearing stories of who Jesus was, hearing bite-sized chunks of Jesus where he turned dark situations into light ones, where he changed people's lives. And I was able to focus on that. And as I focused on that, I could focus less on my situation and more on the fact that I knew Jesus. He is alive and he is powerful. And if he could do all of these things that I see him do in the Bible, he could do it again in my life. The Bible is a fantastic tool to find out who Jesus is. It is a necessary tool. If you want Jesus to impact your life, if you want to live out the Easter message. And we are very lucky, we're very spoiled because we live in a world where we can have the Bible read to us by our phones as we fall asleep. Where we can Google things when we get stuck, which isn't always the best thing, but you can Google different authors that we really trust to interpret scripture for us. We have apps. I've got, uh, I've got an app. It's really fantastic where you can literally just lay down your emotional state at the time. You say, I'm happy, sad, angry. And it will literally list all of the relevant verses in the Bible to that emotion and get them sent straight to your phone. It's fantastic. It doesn't even need to be an emotion. It could be a, it could be a situation, addiction, rejection, loneliness. It will literally get all of the scriptures relevant to that situation and get them sent to you. How lucky is that? It has never been more convenient to hear about Jesus and the truth. And as for people to talk about this with, well, look around you, you are not far from them. This church is riddled with opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. There's almost too many. There is a lot of courses. We have steps courses, alpha courses, marriage courses, all designed to help you see how Jesus can impact your life. We have connect groups. If all these groups are too daunting for you, you can go and have coffee with someone, grab someone, ask them, sit with them on a one-to-one -one basis, and and talk to them about how Jesus can impact your life, your dark situations, what it means for Jesus to be active, to turn them into light ones. You don't have anyone to have coffee with? That's fine. Go and find someone with the welcome team. That's why we give them blue t-shirts, so they're easily recognizable. If all this is too much for you, that's okay. You can go home and relax, and on Wednesday night with a glass of wine in your hands, you can just send an email to the church. It is very convenient. It's very easy to get scripture and to talk about it. It will always be hard. There will always be an investigation, as we have seen. It will never quite be as easy as reading Harry Potter, but you can push through, you can get it. And isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth making the investigation for all this possible change? Why did the band come up? And I will round this down. 
See, the resurrection, if it really happened, if you believe it, means change on a massive scale. Do you not think that's worth investigation? And I know this is hard. I know that if all of us were on a holiday 24-7, we would all have the willingness to investigate things a bit more. Because it's hard to fit things into the routine. I myself have been trying to fit a run into my routine for about a year and a half, and I still haven't done it. <laughs> it is very hard to, to pick up an investigation when we all have other commitments. I know. You kind of wish maybe that someone, somewhere, a group of people along the line had decided this was such an important event, such a big potential to impact our lives, they maybe would have given us a public holiday or something uh, to pause and acknowledge it. This is what these days are for. So I urge you, in your leisure, between enjoying the sun and eating your Easter egg, reflect on the message of Easter. Reflect on whatever you want to take away from today because, and it sounds wild, but it is so wild that it has changed the world. This is a story that can change your life. They are not ready. Why don't you stand and I'll give you a long, drawn-out prayer. Oh, Lord, beginning with Moses. <laughs> Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what this day means. We thank you for the space we have to think about it. We thank you that you are alive and that you are powerful and that you have the potential to bring light into our darkness. And there is nothing too petty or too complicated to bring alongside that message. Father, I pray that you would give us a conviction to investigate today. Would you open our hearts and minds, Father, that we might recognize that you can impact us miraculously and suddenly. Would you help us tackle resources to help us investigate you, Father? And finally, would you help us step out and talk about it with our friends and start that journey together? Pray this in all of your wonderful name and thank you for what you did off your own accord over 2,000 years ago. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit christchurchlondon.org